15th. So you can make plans to be there. Be looking forward to it. Amen. But right now we want to open up our hearts as well as our Bibles and hear the word of the Lord. I feel like God's going to speak to us again tonight. Didn't you enjoy the good message we heard last night? Stirring. And I want to have an ear that is tuned to the right sound today. God bless you, Brother Featherstone. Take your liberty. Thank you, Brother Alviar. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. It's good to be in conference this afternoon. And uh, as you all know, we're no substitute for Brother Burr. I hope we haven't caused him to suffer too much looking at his replacement today. But uh, we appreciate the word of the Lord that we have heard, amen, in this conference. And uh, I've really enjoyed it up to this point in time. And uh, really, I don't usually feel the way I'm feeling. And usually when I feel this way, it scares me. <laughs> Amen. But I'm not scared to death, but... Uh, Amen. I appreciate the word of the Lord. I'm glad God's still God. He's God all by himself. He doesn't need me to be God, and he doesn't need you to be God. He was God before we got here, and he'll be God when we're gone. None of us have a mortgage on God. And the text that I'm going to read this afternoon, I have not preached from this text since I was in Baton Rouge 20 years ago. So just in case somebody remembers, and I can't imagine anybody remembering what I preached 20 years ago, and I'm certainly not going to preach or teach as I did that night 20 years ago, but there is a thought that we want to draw from here. You got to start somewhere. Amen. So we'll start here. Amen. I don't know where we'll end up. There's a sleepy spirit on that side of the church. Appreciate a little response from that side. <laughs> Judges chapter 15. Verse 11. Then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock, Edom, and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done unto us? And he said unto them, As they did unto me, so have I done unto them. 
This is before the Sermon on the Mount. And they said unto him, We are come down to bind thee, that we may deliver thee into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, Swear unto me that ye will not fall upon me yourselves. If I had a little title to this, I'd like to call it Submitting to Bondage. Submitting to Bondage. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Submission to bondage. Now, without going into a lot of detail on this story, as you read the story of Samson, we actually don't find a whole lot out about Samson. At the end of this 15th chapter, it said, and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Chapter 16 starts at the, somewhere around the end of that 20 years. So most of what we know about Samson is how he got started and how he ended. But we don't know anything in between those 20 years. And most Folks paint Samson with a brush that isn't all that wonderful. But I do read in the 11th chapter of Hebrews that Samson is there. And there's a whole lot of folks that we paint with a better brush that we don't see their name there. Now I couldn't even begin to tell you this afternoon what was between chapter 15 and chapter 16. But it must have been some pretty good things. 20 years is a decade. Now the Bible said previously, previous to this in chapter 13. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. 40 years. They had been in bondage 40 years. And the Bible said that God sent a deliverer by the name of Samson. Contrary to a lot of things that we believe and think and teach, the Bible said here in chapter 14 and verse 4, but his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So for 20 years or thereabout, God was raising up a man... And God allowed or permitted circumstances, whatever you mind to call it, that would aggravate Samson. And the story goes that he went down to Timnath and he saw a woman of the Philistines and he told his parents 
But that's who he wanted to marry. And they were shocked and said, Is there not someone in Israel? But the Lord sought an occasion. Sometimes it takes a lot of behind-the-scene action for God to get done what He needs to get done. And the reason for this is that humanity basically seeks the way of least resistance. Humanity seeks the way of least resistance. I was reading the Word of God in Genesis chapter 49 as the man of God was going to give his blessings upon his son. And when he came here to call the sons together, he came and he called Reuben his firstborn. He says, you had a lot going for you, but you have a flaw. You're unstable as water. One of the characteristics, of course, of water, because it is unstable, it takes away of least resistance. That's what water does. You know, Reuben was a good man, but Reuben was a weak man. The Bible said when Joseph without, was with his brethren, he came back and told his father of all the evil that they did. That's why they didn't like Joseph. It wasn't so much that his dad really loved him, but it's what he said. It's what he stood for. It's what he represented that begin to cause resentment to grow in their hearts. And when he came to see how they were doing, they, they took him and they were going to kill him. But Reuben convinced them to cast him in a pit. Reuben was a good man. And after they had cast him in a pit and gone their way and did what they had to do, Reuben came back. And he found that Joseph was gone. And it grieved him. And he spoke to his brethren because of what they did and rebuked them. Many years later in the land of Egypt, the Bible tells us, when Joseph stood before his brethren and they did not recognize him, and he began to talk to them, and the stipulation was put down that one would have to stay behind, that he would not believe that they were sons of a man that had family that was hungry. Reuben immediately turned to those brethren and he said, Did I not tell you? Almost 25 years later, Reuben says, Did I not tell you? that we should not have sinned against that child. 
The difference between us and God is that we're running against the clock. God hasn't got time. Amen. He hasn't got time. Time was just made by him for us. He's not worried by time. Brother Garrett, Bill Garrett preached that message that is mentioned so often from on occasion surviving the test of time. And I remember the story that he told up in the Black Hills of North Dakota. He went into a museum. There was a skull that greeted them. And the saying beneath the skull was, don't laugh at me, for I was as you are. But you shall be as I am. Time's against us. But time is no problem with God. And because there is so much Reuben in us, he said, Thou art my firstborn. The firstborn had a lot of privileges. No matter how many sons you had, if you had two sons, and it came time to die, you divided everything you had into threes, thirds. And the eldest son got two thirds, and the younger son got one third. That's just the way it was. But there was also the ability to be the representative between that family and God, they were to represent God to the family and the family to God. There's a lot of things that Reuben sold out on. He was a good man, but he was a weak man. When they led him, Jacob, coming back into the land of Israel, even after Bethel, as they were struggling to be established in that land. That's when Reuben went up to his father's concubine. And Jacob said, you're my firstborn. You're the excellency of my strength and power and might. But you shall not excel because you're unstable as water. You have a way of taking the path of least resistance. You go with the flow. And we live in a society today that the principles that they operate by is to go with the flow. Take the way of least resistance. Now all of us our children of Adam. All of us have been children of Satan, the devil. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the nature of all Adam's children as a whole is to take the way of least resistance. The Bible said it's not in man to direct his steps. Because he takes a way of least resistance. He takes the easy route. I thought as we're here not only remembering 
and honoring the memory of those that have passed on before us. I was not in the state of Louisiana in 1968 when they walked across the line. I'd walked across the line in 1967 in Canada. But there must have been a something going on. Not only in the United States of America, but there was a feeling. Those men that crossed the line, there's a feeling. Some folks cross the line because others cross the line. There's a spirit in all of us to take the way of least resistance. I wasn't here. I don't know who crossed the line other than the four that stood up here the other night. But I'm sure there's those that crossed the line. that probably never had the same feelings. Intimidation makes us do a lot of things. Sometimes we're intimidated to do the right, and sometimes we're intimidated to do the wrong. It depends who we're with. But God isn't looking for those, amen, that are complacent today. He is not looking for those that are only echoes. An echo just repeats the original sound and voice. It has no feeling. It has no comprehension. It has no understanding. Because it doesn't come from the issuer it only bounces off we can get so used to bondage because we take the way of least resistance that we end up with a slave mentality I've never been a slave other than to the devil. But Jesus set me free, and I'm thankful that he did. But some folks, and whom the sun sets free, is free indeed. None of us have ever been set free, and we're obligated to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ will not do things that way. When Jesus set you free, he set you free to make your choice to follow him or return and follow the devil. And I thank God that there's freedom. And we in America enjoy liberties that no other nation under the sun enjoys. And most of those liberties have been bought by men that paid the price of blood. And most of the men that have died in all the wars that represent liberty 
were usually men from the ages of 17, 18, 19, and 20. If you would take the count of all Americans that have died in all the wars around the world, you'll find that the average age would astonish you. And let me tell you, they gave their lives for liberty and freedom because they were conditioned to give their lives. In the city of San Antonio, there is the Alamo. Really, it's only the chapel of what is left of that place. There's a lot of history involved with that. And when Travis took his sword and drew the line, everyone could have walked away and been saved. It wasn't that there wasn't any way to escape. They could have left at any given time and there would have been no problems. They could have left and fought another day and at another time. In fact, there was only one that chose not to cross that line because he said he wasn't ready to die. They had been comrades in battles before, but he was not ready to die. And when you look at the ages of those men, Travis, 26 years old, that's not very old to draw a line. That's not very old to say we're going to step over that. But he was actually devoted to a cause. He felt that if they could defend that Alamo to death, that it would buy time for Sam Houston to rally the forces that he had. And so he felt, according to history, that if they died within the walls of the Alamo, that the price of freedom and liberty would be well worth paying because they wanted to be free. Those men that rose early that morning, they rose to die. There was no exodus. There was no escape. They were going to fight till they died. And a lot of those were young men. But commitment is not short term. That's what we suffer in the society in which we live today. Commitment is short lived, short term. When folks talk about commitment, they're already thinking of a deadline when that commitment will run out. No one thinks of commitment as a lifelong endeavor. I remember when I was young, they used to say in the state of California that one out of every three marriages ended up in divorce in the state of California. That was a cesspool of iniquity 
Well, it spread a whole lot farther east than the state of California. Because it's a commitment. Marriage is a commitment. It's a commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. And everybody that's ever stood for me didn't know what they were committing themselves to. I can tell you that. Because I just thought it was going to get better. It couldn't get worse. Said for richer or poorer, they said we can't be any poorer than what we are. But they were wrong. They said it's just a matter of saying the words, you know, and getting through this little ceremony. And all those lovely invitations they sent out. You know, they thought, well, we just want folks to come. Maybe they'll give us something. But really what they are is witnesses to your commitment. That's what they're there for. Witnesses to your commitment. If you don't plan to be committed, you shouldn't invite too many folk. We're living in perilous times. Perilous times are here. Commitment. It always used to be the Hollywood issue, but it isn't the Hollywood issue anymore. That spirit has swept across the United States of America. So the statistics tell us that every other marriage that is performed will end up in the divorce courts. And that 96% of all second marriages will end up in divorce. 96% of all second marriages end up in divorce. That means 96 out of 100 because they don't know and understand what commitment means. It's in us to take the way of least resistance. Reuben was a good man. These folk are good folk, but they're weak. And anything that's born of woman is weak. The only way weak men become stronger is they must be taught and their strength develops from the mind. Strength is not in the biceps when it comes to commitment. Strength, amen, comes from the mind. And that's why television has been so damnable. When I sold World Book Encyclopedias, my little book that I gave my presentation out of, there was a two in that process of a child watching television and they said the reason why America is so illiterate is that our children have become programmed to television that it has taken away their imagination and they sit there from an early age 
until preschool and school age and their mind is programmed by a television set. That they are not able to use their imagination or create circumstances that they can solve themselves because it's always been solved and programmed by television. Devil sold this world a bill of goods. I don't have to preach against television. There's more folks preaching against it now, amen, than I do. But we have a nation that is programmed by the thoughts. The United States of America and Canada is controlled by the media. We don't know what's going on. We just know what's going on by what they tell us what's going on. The media, whether it be the paper, the radio, or the television, has so programmed this nation that opinions are formulated on information that we don't even know is correct. Because this nation has been programmed almost 50 years ago by that little box that came into their house. Good men have been programmed to become weak. The devil has programmed America to become weak. They cannot make decisions because for 50 years decisions have been made for them. Forty years Israel was in bondage. Forty years. God said, I'm going to raise up a man. And the only way that he could get that man stirred up to do anything, he got him interested in a Philistine wife. And on his way down to the wedding, this line came out. Well, I'm a little ahead of myself. He was down Courtner when the line came out. He killed that line, threw it over in the bushes, and on his way down to the wedding, he said, I better check on that line. Man, he found some honey in there and he reached in and got some honey and gave it to his mother and father and he got a little notion in his head. He liked that girl, but there was something about those Philistines he didn't like. You know, good man, weak man, there's reasons why they don't like certain things, but they don't know the reason. Because they've been programmed another way. And when they were all there for a week celebrating, he said, Hey, I got a little riddle I want to tell you. Amen. What's strong and what's sweet? What is sweet that can come out of what's strong? But you see, God was getting him ready to get a feeling that he should have. Amen. Nobody can really fight unless you got a feeling. You got to have a feeling to fight. I said, You got to have a feeling to fight. Some said, Well, I'm not a fighter because you got no feeling. God said, Israel's got no feeling, and Samson's got no feeling. But I am going to give Samson a reason to fight because I'm going to get right close to his heart. And they said, 
Samson said, here's a little riddle. He said, I'm going off my honeymoon, need some clothes and stuff. Good way to get something. If you can't answer this riddle, then you fellas got to supply me with 30 days of clothes. Man, he thought he had it in the bag. But what he didn't understand, he was marrying a Philistine woman. And a Philistine woman, the spirit of the Philistine is more dedicated to the Philistines than they are the children of God. I don't care if you court them or marry them. They scratched their heads and they finally came to her. Said, we want to tell you something. If you don't get around that Samson and find out what the answer is, we're going to, you're not going to worry about marrying him. We're going to burn your house down and you with it and your dad and everybody else. See, a Philistine doesn't understand anything about God or the ways of God. If she would have chosen to be faithful and honest to Samson, we don't even know how this story would have ended out. But anybody that's weak and never been taught remains weak. And she began to put the charm on old Samson. And he told her the answer. And brother, she ran off and told them. And it said all that day they just had a good time and Samson was ready for the answer because he knew they didn't have it. And they said, hey, what's stronger than a lion? And what's sweeter than honey? He said, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have got the answer. And the Bible said that the Spirit of the Lord came on. And he went out and slew 30 Philistines and took the clothes off and brought them back and said, here you are, boy. But he wasn't happy with that. He went fuming out of the marriage, the supper, the marriage, the whole ball of wax. He was so worked up. He forgot about getting married. He was worked up. So he got back up into the hills and got cooled off a little bit. And he said, uh, hey, I mean... I got a little beside myself down there. I better go down and pick up my wife. And when he went down to pick her up, her father said, no, no. He said, I thought you was angry with her. And we just gave her to the man that stood up with you, your friend. We gave it to the friend of the bridegroom. And he went berserk again. And that's exactly what God wanted him to do. He had to give him a reason to fight. But humanity doesn't want to fight. And they want the feeling taken away. I'm a third generation, one God Pentecostal. I got children and grandchildren in this meeting, brother. And it's a tendency for me to want to take everything away from them so they don't have to fight. But you're either a soldier in God's army or you're nothing. Hallelujah.
burn right along without getting bogged down in all that story, you know what happened. He found that out, he got mad. I don't know how mad you'd have to be how you ever catch that many foxes and set that many tails on fire, brother, I don't know. You had to be some kind of mad. Brother, they went through the cornfields and everything else and burned it up. And they came to Samson's father-in-law. Said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to burn your house down anyway. And that's exactly what they did. And there's a lot of folks that won't take their stand on anything because they want to serve, prepare, or preserve their little house. But let me tell you, God's going to burn it down and tear it down anyhow. Oh, yeah, he is. So we read, he's up on the rock. And the Philistines came to the children of Israel. And they said, we're going to come up here 3,000. We're going to come wipe you out too. They said, now why would you wipe us out? We've been in bondage for 40 years. Haven't we been happy? Why upset us? Who's causing all the problems? Samson. Samson, the man that God sent to deliver them. But they were complacent. They were glad to be in bondage. They were glad to be in bondage. Here's a man that God sent to deliver them. And they said, I'll tell you what we'll do. You leave him to us. And 3,000 Israelites went up to the top of the rock. And said, don't you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? You know that we got to buckle down. You know that we got to go under their rule. You know that. So why rock the boat? Why rock the boat, Samson? Don't you know that they rule over us? It's been this way for stinking 40 years. God sent them a deliverer and they didn't want one. And God sends areas preachers that they don't want. God sends churches preachers that they don't want. Because they don't want their little boat shook. They're complacent. They're happy playing church. God's not coming back for people playing church. People that play church are going to hell. Samson said, you can be seated. Samson said, hey. You got the spirit of Reuben on you, boys. You want to take the way of least resistance. That's your problem. Said, hey, bind me up. But promise me before you bind me up that you don't fall on me. Because he said, I may 
have to kill 3,000 before I get to the 1,000. And I tell you what, the 3,000 been a whole lot easier to kill than the 1,000 because they'd been nothing but mealy-mouthing around for 40 years. But the 1,000 that lined up against them, brother, they were warriors. And the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord came on. All he saw there was a jawbone of an ass. And he grabbed that. Amen. And he cracked a lot of skulls that night. That's how he got started. And it said, for 20 years, there's a blank and a void. But I believe that in those 20 years, there was a whole lot more of that than there was a whole lot more of the last chapter that we read about Samson's life. Because the Holy Ghost said, time doesn't allow. And Samson is mentioned in that group. Now that kind of throws all us a little, you know, because we just love little things. But Samson was a weak man. And the reason that Samson probably ended up like he did in the 16th chapter was because he had a bunch of spineless, gutless Israelites that didn't want to be delivered, didn't want to live for God. And there's folks that get all excited when some preacher falls. But you don't know how much hell some have gone through before they fell. And a lot of preachers that fail, and if they've never got right, amen, may be, will be lost. And the ones that caused them to fall will be in hell with them too. I got a few folk from San Antonio, and I tell them, I'll never let you send me to hell. I've pastored some of these folk 32 years, and I look them in the face every once in a while, and I said, I refuse to let you send me to hell. But there's a spirit of complacency. There's a spirit of living in the comfort zone. Nobody wants to stretch. Brother Lambeth was preaching last night. What was he trying to tell us? Stretch. Worship. Pray. Stretch. Get out of the comfort zone. He inhabits the praises of his people. So it would stand to reason if you're not praising, he's probably not in you. Getting adjusted to bondage. Getting adjusted to bondage. Hezekiah is a great king. There's more good written in the books of God about Hezekiah. But there's one little asterisk there. Said he was great in all things, but. 
in that he allowed the ambassadors from Egypt. It's there. Had a lot of good. And when the prophet came by and asked him what he did, he told the prophet, he didn't lie, he told the prophet. And Hezekiah said, God! God! Because I will have peace and truth in my time. He was in his comfort zone. I'm not preaching just to have truth and peace in my time. I'm preaching so I'll have the generation that follows me to have peace and truth in my time. I'm preaching so that my grandkids, if the Lord would tarry, will still have peace and truth in their time. for the comfort zone. America lives for that dream. 97% of all Americans when they arrive to retirement years don't have enough money to retire on. 3% reach the dream, brother. 3%. We need Del Rose here to sing that song, If I'm Dreaming, Let Me Dream On. No discharge from this war. You just preach and preach till you preach your guts out. Cry till you can't cry no more. Fight till you can't fight no more. And there's folks still walk out the door. And there's folks sitting in the wings that say, hey, when he's gone, things are going to be different. It's so easy, brother. You can slip down the road of time so easy. 30 years ago, they walked across the line. You know why they walked across the line. I know why I walked across the line. They said, you can't preach holiness. You can't. Have certain men preach for you. There's certain men that you can't fellowship. You have to commit yourself to our programs. And let me tell you, one week before Elder Verbal Bean died, I spent every night up with him in my home from Monday night to Friday night. 
And I'm not pretending that we were bosom pals, because we weren't. And a few months before that, Brother Bean preached the Plaster Rock Convention in Plaster Rock, New Brunswick. And he told me, he said, well, will you sit up with me? He said, I spent so much time evangelizing, I can't sleep at night. And while everybody else was sleeping, and everybody knows me well enough to know, I'm not as bad as Brother Hammer. But I'm not far behind you, brother. Amen. And Brother Burr said to Brother Bean, he said, you fellas can stay up all night and talk if you want to, but I'm going to bed. And when he was at Plaster Rock, I sat for four or five nights. And it's just, you know, I want to tell you something. They'll publish his books and sell them in their book house because it makes them money. But when he was here in live and living color, amen, his own relatives would get up and walk out of the house when he went over to visit them. I believe he crossed the line. I said, I believe he crossed the line. It took a lot of guts to cross that line because it broke a lot of connections and I'll tell you oh my God I'll tell you why some other men didn't cross the line because they were married to a bossy wife they never had the guts to cross the line because they would have got hell in their church and they would have got hell when they got home If there's any bossy wise here that's trying to control their husband as what he preaches, brother, I feel sorry for you. Get with the women! You can be seated. I thank God for every godly woman in this building and every godly pastor's wife. But let me tell you, God never called the pastor's wife to pastor the church. In fact, I'll tell you one better than that. He never called a woman to preach either. Be seated. And there's some women that can preach better than men. And I'll be the first to admit it. But that doesn't mean they're called. In fact, most women that think they are called look for some kind of a pansy to marry. And stick him up in the pulpit, bless God. Amen. And they control everything else. I'm telling you, those men crossed the line at a, at a price of fellowship and friendship. And 30 years later, let me tell you, Verbal Bean told me personally, and Brother Cavanagh mentioned it last night, but he told me personally. He said, Elder, 
if things don't change. Now, we mentioned the United Pentecostal Church. We call names. Maybe that's not wise, but they call our names. But it's not only the United Pentecostal Church. It's any man-made organization. There's not a scripture in the book to back it up. God. And what bothers me is some of these wonderful good men that believe so much like we believe. I promise you, if you check the majority out, it's that little woman they're married to that's calling the punches. I need to read that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. They're no different than they ever were. And because someone's got a big church, brother, they'll leave them alone. And they leave them alone because they know down the road they're going to end up and get it anyway. Organization is in for the long haul. They're not in for the short haul. Brother, when they walked across the line, they fought tooth and toenail. Then someone got the idea, pull back. And because we're so much of use to fighting, brother, a lot of us fellows begin to fight each other because we had to fight something. I've heard folks get all hot and bothered over whether a woman curled her hair or not. Some curl it and then straighten it out, and some curl it and leave it curled. Now, if you want to make that an issue, help yourself. But we got far greater issues at stake, amen, than curlers. You be seated. But we love to stay in the comfort zone. There's good men, but they're weak. Say, he's a good man, but what? Weak. Did Paul not say this is for the strong? I remember when that organization was breathing down our neck. I thank God every day for the day that I stepped into Akron Temple. Akron, Ohio. I seen Brother Spell. He had a briefcase. Amen. The first thing he wanted to know, did we have any money for the missionaries? Number one issue. Let's deal with this. Amen. Oh, yeah, that's important. Amen. Okay, these are good men. I thank God every day I live. I went from Akron back to Prince Edward Island, and I told my wife, I said, I have found the men that I have been looking for.
They were good men. And they were strong men, but there was weak men among them. And there's weak men among us that are only strong because we're strong. Weak men will follow strong men. And it looks like they're strong. I'm glad I found some of these men. Amen. I don't want their memory. I tell my church, someone said, you've got a bad spirit. I haven't got a bad spirit. What kind of a pastor would I be when I'm dead and gone? I, if God tarries long enough and John takes my church and he hobnobs with the UPC, I hope his guts fall out. If there's any of you fellows around here and I'm gone, you remind him, bless God. I never preached and pastored these folk for 30-some years to have kids and grandkids swallowed up in a rotten system, brother. Oh, show me these men that had the good spirit. Where's their churches today? Where, what's their people believe today? Like I said, I just, just didn't feel like I wanted to feel. Amen. Brother, there's some young fellas. Amen. They're not in this church. But they were in this church last night. And they said, I want to tell you, the ACI has got a rotten spirit. They told my boys, the ACI's got a rotten spirit. They got a rotten spirit. They got a bad spirit. Sit down. Amen. They wouldn't know straight up from straight down. They've never had to fight for anything. They had another man fight for them. And when that other man's gone, brother, I'll promise you, they'll gobble that church up too. I don't want my posterity ended up in a mess like that. Where a group of men can sit on the board and say, we don't care where God calls you, you'll go here or else. Don't tell me that's of God. Someone said, you got a bad spirit. Well, I think that's a bad spirit. I want my kids to know 
I was in Faith Tabernacle, Port Arthur, Texas. I heard Murray E. Burr stand up, and he said, you boys that have gone out and married UPC girls, they caused me more trouble than anybody else I got in this church. And that was 20 years ago. And they look pretty good compared to today. Tell you what, they bring spirits with them. They're not used to a preacher telling it like it is. They're not used to a preacher calling names. Some say, well, I got a better spirit. I don't want to call names. There's some folk out there. There's some saints that are so stupid because they're sheep that you got to call some names and name some things. Or they don't even know what you're talking about. Sit down. I've had folks jump up my church and say, I want to thank Brother Foster. Don't call my name. I didn't know he's talking to me. Some folks don't know you're talking to them until you call their name. Oh, God, help me. If you want to leave your posterity to that, help yourself. With all their lovely programs. Amen. Brother, I want to tell you, on the authority of the Word of God, that man-made system, that system, that man-made system is as wrong as the doctrine of the Trinity because they both come from the Catholic Church. Preachers over preachers is Catholicism. And you can shout and holler your one God and hobnob with that mess, brother, and I don't see a whole lot of difference. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better too. You're looking better. You had me worried. Sit down. That doesn't mean we hate everybody in the UPC. I have UPC men preach for me all the time. This isn't a battle against men and personalities. But I was in that thing once upon a time. And somebody preached to me. And I'll help anybody I possibly can. But don't jam that down my throat. I don't know if Brother Spell's telling the truth or not. I don't know if you're telling the truth or not. Oh, I hope you are too. Amen. Two years ago, when the UPC conference was in San Antonio, Texas, I invited Brother and Sister Spell down. I said, come on down. We'll go to Kerrville, and then we'll stop by. Brother Spell said, ever since I've been out of that. Is that what you said? That's the truth. I said it, and that's the truth. Say what you said to me. He said, I've never been back and don't intend to. All right. That's what he said. And that carries a lot of weight with me because that system is devilish. Well, all this isn't in my notes. Sit down, I'm finding my watch here. Brother Spell said, 
not to go over, amen, too long because it'll be two tapes. Nobody will want this tape, so don't worry about it. Amen. I tell you what a man-made system that's got Catholicism behind it. They'll tell you the end justifies the means. Brother Idell, I'll haul you in this mess. We might as well hang together. Because we don't hang together, we'll hang one at a time. And that's what an organization likes you to do. They'll kick you out one at a time. So when they kick the next fellow out, he'll be mad that he won't go with the fellow that should have stood with him the first time. I've been down that road. Whether those officials go over there to that part of the world where he's from. He don't look like this when he goes over to that other part of the world. He looks like he looks when he fixes air conditioners. The other day he came in and he said, excuse me for looking like this. That's because... He's Americanized. Here. Father, he stood in those crowds. He's heard their negotiations. He's seen them open them briefcases and put thousands of dollars into these men's hands. And some of these men, one man said, the Holy Ghost told me. The Holy Ghost told me. And he took that money and he put it away. And a few weeks or months later when they come back, they said, what are you going to do? Are you going to join up with us? Are you going to let us move you this big church? said, no. They said, you've got to because look at the money we got into you. And he said, the Holy Ghost told me to keep that money. And he walked over and got that money. And he said, here's your money. And took pictures of the meeting. And sent it all over North America. And said, this is what we have in this country. And they never had one of the guys that were there. And they raised another 15 or 18 or $20,000 on those pictures. You want, anybody else does that, brother? They put them behind bars. And then you got sympathy. And you're worried that we may say, why worry about that? I'm just old enough to remember some of those men that crossed the line. And the way I'm preaching today makes me look like a Sunday school kid in knee britches. But I'll tell you why. You were where I was then. And we sat in awe and we heard them. But they've walked off the stage of time. All we look at is pictures and memories. But they wanted us to have more than pictures and memories out of it. They expected us to hold this torch high. You think they preached for 30 years to walk off the scene and let us hobnob back because we're gutless and weak? Oh, we're good men, but we're weak! can't come back and they'll never be back they're gone forever that's why elder Cavanagh told me and he told his son I'm sure he told some more of us because he ran with us 
He always told us, he said, I run with young men. I don't run with old men. Because if you run with old men, you act old. You need to run with young men. You act young. We thought that was great. But you know what he was doing? He was more than just running with us. He could have hung with the old men, but he hung with the young men because he was putting something down in the heart of Ted Wade and T.L. Meade that when we laid him in the ground and walked away, he said, don't walk away from what I gave you, from what I taught you. Where would they be tonight? Times have not changed. Times have not changed. We've changed. Because prosperity has made us soft. And for us to preach like they preached, it would cost us some tithe payers. And we are no more than hirelings. But he called us. I've got a commitment, God. It's not short term. It's long term. As those slides flashed across the screen, memories they were singing, precious memories, how they linger. Are they lingering in you tonight? Or you had your turn now? And you're going to do things different than the old elders because they didn't do it right. Elder Carl Ballestero taught us, preach your problem. Preach it! If they get cross and angry, preach it! they walk out, preach it! Preach it! Let me tell you this. I have children here, grandchildren, but God has no grandchildren. You're either a son or a daughter. His commitment does not go beyond his sons and his daughters. And though I may try to haul my kids through, it isn't going to work. You're going to have to get this for yourself. And if you don't get it for yourself, you can sing my praises or damn me if you want to. It isn't going to change anything. But on that great getting up morning, there's a lot of folks that aren't going to be getting up. I don't know. We're moving towards the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know how soon or when he would come. But let me tell you, this is no time to be getting complacent. But the Bible said, be not weary in well-doing. Because the harder we preach, weak flesh doesn't want us to come. Because Laodicea and Pentecost bids them come. Or that I was just a little old skinny preacher. As they'd say, with a little old warty church. 
brother, they came and preached for me like they preached to a thousand. Because I had a life to live, folks to reach. It isn't what we say. It's what we do. And you can say, we, we preach sometimes. I never try to, I'm telling you. So help me, God, I'm tired of being a double-barrel hypocrite. People have got to be sermon tasters. We know what your little pet peeve is, bless God, and we can preach that pet peeve. We can preach that or we can preach what you like or we can whatever we can we can turn it on or turn it off because we're not a bunch of jugheads like everybody thinks we are but when the men crossed the line 30 years ago they crossed the line not to be a little UPC there's men that never followed through and there's men that left because it wasn't a little UPC it never was, never intended to be, and never will be. What this is is a group of brethren. Someone said, they folks laugh at us. Sure, they laugh at us. But I tell you what, this little fellowship has been a solace for folks in troubled waters. But let me tell you, folks soon forget when the wind stops blowing and the waves stop crashing. And things start to go their way. Amen. I'm replacing Brother Elder Burr here. Brother Bean and Brother Burr said in my home 21 years ago, Brother Burr told me, he said, Elder, I want to tell you something. If Elder Bean hadn't come by and preached in my church, it was a board-run church. Faith Tabernacle, Brother Hammers enjoying the fruits of an unshackled ministry. We didn't get here today by ourselves. Brother Burr sat right beside Brother Bean. Brother Bean said, when I went to that church, I don't know how we evangelized. He told me personally, we can get all caught up in all what we want to get caught up but Brother Bean told me personally, he said, you know, a lot of folks think I'm a revivalist. He said, my greatest revivals was running people out of churches. He said, the revival came after I cleaned it out. But we don't hear that anymore because he's a silent voice. And anybody can say what they want to say and they bow at a shrine and they polish his stone and they publish his books and puts more money in the coffers because they don't have to deal with them and why they don't sing anybody's praises here tonight is because they got to deal with us we're an unknown commodity you never know when any one of us could pop off like I'm doing this afternoon. 
You can't program us. It comes from those that you at least expect it from. But I'm mad at the devil today. I'm not mad at saints. I'm mad at the devil. I'm mad at the devil. I hate the devil. I hate the devil. I don't understand. But Reuben was a good man. He couldn't stand up to his brother. So he said, put a, him in a pit. And I'll come back and get him at a later date. He was a good man. But he was a gutless man. And when he came back to get him, Joseph was gone. And for 25 years, he seen the tears of Jacob streaming down his face. With a coat torn and goat blood on and he said, we're lying to you, Daddy. He was a good man. But he was a weak man. And when Joseph said, are you sure you've got a family starving? Twenty-five years later, Reuben says the same words. I told you. I told you, brother. We were not to sin against the child. God, I don't want to be 25 years down the road. Say, John, I want to apologize to you, John. I don't want to apologize to John in another five years or ten years. I don't want to apologize to Joel in another five or ten years. Someone said, well, you know, you got a bad spirit. Apostle Paul, when he went to leave this world, he didn't call everybody in. He said, I got a list of all these folks I want to make things right with. He said, what do you got to say, Paul? He said, I want to tell you this. I have fought a good fight. You think anybody dying want to make peace? Want to apologize to some folks? I hope you're not reading me wrong. But there was memories and ghosts that walked across that stage. Some I knew and some I never knew. In the few moments of his time that Elder Cavanagh spent with me, Elder Verbal Bean spent with me, and some of these other men are cherished moments. But they expected me to carry this on. They did not expect me to come to the table of negotiation. They did not expect me to hammer out an agreement with a Roman system. Good! Hezekiah said. Peace and truth in my time. But the prophet said, your posterity are going to be eunuchs in a strange land. Cut wood. Pull water. Become slaves. Good. I won't see it. Good. I'll be getting God. Good. 
me deep. God, I won't see it. But my sons will be eunuchs in a strange land. Hopeless, useless. Those men crossed the line because they didn't want us to be hewers of wood and jars of water in a strange land. They were misunderstood. They were falsely accused. And then there's times they weren't falsely accused. They said what they said, and they said worse than what they said. But they did it for me, even though they never knew me. Phone rang first of this year. Voice on it said, pray for Dad. in the hospital going to have open heart surgery they think I remember the time I walked in Akron Temple and that little bald headed man was there and I thought he was an old man there but you was a lot younger than what I am right now And memories flash through my mind. Memories of Elder Joseph Mead standing behind the pulpit, chewing his lip. One moment away from an atomic explosion. I wouldn't mind. Really. I'm not saying this for something to say, but... Oh God, I don't want to see the day, Elder. just want to tell you I love you and appreciate you. Brother Doug picked me up at the airport in Cincinnati. He said, how's your grandpa? He said, man, he's studying. He's got pages and notes. I said, Joseph Meade's got pages and notes. Yeah, I said, don't worry, he'll never use them. Amen. So I said, that's not very nice, Brother Featherstone. Tell you what, he built a church in Akron, Ohio. The hard way and the right way. And my life is ever blessed. The day I pulled in back on Ohio Elder. I just want to tell you. I don't care how old he gets. I don't disrespect you, brother. And any times he's been in meetings and got mad at the devil, you help me. My children love you. I never told my children, Elder Mead, just an old man, don't pay no attention to him. My children love Joseph me. When Elder R.C. Cavanagh died, little Joel was just a little boy. He said, I've lost my friend. Oh, God. And now what's so amazing? I'm only 52 years old. There's a lot of pictures and slides back there. There was people that never reached 52 years old. A lot of them were branded as hardheads, troublemakers, agitators. And you know what? Because they were strong men, folks followed them. 
and they look strong too. Strong men always make men look strong. Strong men know how to make weak men feel strong. That's why we said when we come to these meetings, we leave here feeling stronger. Strong men make us feel strong. But somewhere down the road into the sunset, they march for the last and final time. And some men that look strong lost their direction because the strength of their leader was gone. R.C. Cabinets didn't, he was not my leader by a vote. He earned my respect. But he marched and left me behind. Verbal being marched and left men behind. I sat there, right here, out where Brother Shepherd sat, right here. That funeral that day. And I heard the lovely things. Double barrel lying hypocrites. Do you know why? He's dead. Let's check. Yeah, that's him. Polish a stone now. Publish his books. He's dead. Silent voice. Doesn't make any difference now. Sing his praise. But he was a good man, but he was a strong man. You read his books. The biggest shock I ever got in my life. He was sitting around my table. We were sitting around our kitchen table in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. Brother Bean started laughing. I kind of looked at him because I hadn't known him that long. You know, he said, it's funny what we use for cop-outs. This is what he said. He said, when I was a young man, he said, I use prayer for a cop-out. You know, that's what he's named for. That's what he's known for. He said, you know why I prayed? Because I didn't want to talk to anybody. He said, I was introverted. And he roared and laughed. Brother Burr, you know, that's... My God, son. He said when mother would say, we need to go to town, he said, I'd hit for the back 40, and I'd start praying up a storm. So she wouldn't make me go to town. I'd rather pray. Amen. You know what? But he developed a habit. So it became his nature. He was a good man. He was a strong man. Oh, God. Are you willing to stay in bondage? You're willing to let your preacher preach to you. And when he's done, you go your way. We're not preaching against choirs today. But I tell you what, there's a lot of folks let the choir do their singing.
they let the choir do their praise. It's in us to be entertained. That's why the Charismatics are growing by leaps and bounds. That's why Laodicea and Pentecost is growing by leaps and bounds. But except the Lord build the house. I don't claim to be a genius. But I don't also, I don't claim to be a fool. But I can tell you, I've been in enough business seminars and sales seminars and training seminars that you can take the principles and you can build anything you want to build. You can build a sales organization or you can build a church. Not his church, but a church. And every once in a while, I'm kind of tempted to do that because it's not moving fast enough. But except the Lord build the house. If you're in management, you've got to make your team feel like they're everything. You've got to pretend that you're not upset at them. You shake their hand, hug their neck when really you want to bust them in the nose. Sales techniques, management skills, personalities, people skills are all developed. But the call of God is not developed. And there's folks that look down their noses because they know it well. I've listened to some folks preach, brother, and I've sat in those seminars, but it wasn't called a message. There's principles that have to do with the psychic of a mind. That's all. God doesn't want our mind alone, but he wants our heart. As Brother Brad was saying last night, you can't sing unless you sing from the heart. And that's why he said, make a joyful noise. That allows you and I in there, brother. Yeah. If he hadn't said that, you and I wouldn't have made it. No. We'd been left out in the cold. But God has a way of taking an off key, off tune, and transposing it into some heavenly praise. Because he loves me. Hallelujah. I may be standing with somebody and it's aggravating them to death. And God's just a happy camper. Hallelujah. Because he said, that's my child. 